0: It is great to be with my AIC family to kick off 2014. Uh, I don't know where 2013 went. It seemed to go rather quickly. I don't know about the rest of you, but for me it did. Uh, there is good news, there is bad news, and there is everything in between. But as Pastor Dan illustrated a couple minutes ago, this new year brings a new sermon series for us as a church family. And we months back, about seven months ago, we were considering series titles and we wanted to do a series looking at the teachings of Jesus. And we were th- running around with different ideas like red letter words. And I'll, I'll talk about what those mean in a minute and things. And I, I suggested I said, well, we live in basically the financial center of Asia, right? I think people might be really able to relate if I throw up on a big sign living in the red. And say that's what we should do. Because in the eyes of secular man, are we supposed to live in the red? No. I'm still paying off school debt. I'm in the red. Right? Someday that debt will go away and I will be in the black. And that will be wonderful. But yet, when we look at God's word, if you have a physical Bible, I know not many of you still carry them around. And you know what? It's okay to read God's word from a phone. Just read God's word. I I like a physical Bible because I can write all over it, but amazingly, you can type notes in as well. So this isn't a commentary on whether you should carry a Bible or use your phone or whatnot, but what it is is when you open the word of God, if you have a Bible that on the outside says it's a red letter edition, you know what that means, It means that every word spoken by Jesus is highlighted in red. Therefore, any of us humans, as long as we're not colorblind, and I know some are, therefore, I'm sorry, you have to figure out which words are his on your own. But for the rest of us, those red letters mean, hey, this is straight from the mouth of Jesus. And so when you see those, and even your digital Bibles often highlight things in red now when it's Jesus' words. But when you see those, it's a good time to pause and pay real close attention. To say, what can we take directly from Jesus, who is our Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and coming King? And so that's what we're going to do for the next, well, between now and Easter. We're going to camp out in the teachings of Jesus. Are we going to get to all of them? Not even a chance. We could study just the Beatitudes alone and not get, to, or get past Easter. Uh, in fact, we're not going to study the Beatitudes. Pastor Mark did that series about five years ago. And so we'll come back around to those another day. And we're also not going to look much at parables because Jesus was an amazing storyteller. But if we look at all the parables, we would be there for years. And instead, we're going to look at when he directly taught, when there wasn't a lot of mystery to what he said. He just threw it out there and said, listen, pay attention. And he might add some statements like, oh, ye of little faith. In other words, come on, listen up. You should know this by now. Because what I've found is I've, Studied and and spent more time with people is often when we go out and we talk to people that live in this world, they often think that the Bible is a few things. One, that it's outdated. In other words, it's ancient, it's not relevant today. Have any of you ever come across people that say something like that? Well, yeah, we probably do. I told you a, a little while ago, I sat down with a friend and he said, Do you actually believe that? What that says? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, that's weird. And I said, yeah. And I'm good with that. I said, but it makes the most sense in the world to me. And so we're going to understand as we go through this series that not only was Jesus teaching relevant 2,000 years ago, it's just as relevant today. Well, Mike, Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago in a different language. How can it still be timeful, timely today? You, got, you ever talk about money? Anybody? Ever have money challenges? No? No? Well, you know, Jesus spent an awful lot of time talking about money. Okay, so already he's applicable there. Have any of you ever had a relationship problem? Not just dating or marriage or things, just with one another. Some, maybe lots. It happens. Well, you know what? Jesus talked about that too. Some of you in your marriage... Have you struggled? And I'm going to say a word that's going to make you squirm. Have you struggled with your sex life? Have you struggled with your intimacy, with your marriage itself? Jesus talked about relationships in great detail. What about things like forgiveness? Have you ever had a hard time forgiving someone or yourself? Well, Jesus addressed that too. What about self-esteem? Have any of you ever felt like you're not good enough? Or you've had family members or parents or friends that make you feel like you don't measure up. Hmm. Well, Jesus talked about that, too. You get the idea here that when Jesus taught, he didn't speak in big, mysterious statements that no one could understand. He spoke to the practical needs of the day. And you know what? We struggle with the same things today that Christians and non-Christians struggled with back then when Jesus was walking this earth. And so for the next few months, we're going to look at some of Jesus' teachings and say, how can I apply these to my life? And how can I invite others to come along with me as I grow and let them grow with me? Because here's the thing I love about Jesus. He didn't come and say, be perfect and then follow me. He grabbed people that were pretty much losers. If you look... I mean, you've got tax collectors following him, smelly, stinky, unclean fishermen following him, and you've got him hanging out with people that were considered the least, the dirtiest, the filthiest, and he said, come on now, and I will do just what I talked about in the story. I will be the one to cleanse you. And so often, we feel like we've got to get ourselves all fixed up, and then we go to Jesus, and we've just completely missed out on grace. That wonderful concept where Jesus says, come as you are, and my blood, as we remembered right here, will wash over you, will cleanse you, will make you whole through him. It's that double imputation, it's called. In other words, not only did he pay for our sins, but he rewarded us for his work and says, you are righteous because of what I've done. Now, in my line of thinking, that makes me want to hear everything he's said. And it makes me want to follow him all the more. But we look at 2014, and depending on who you are, you probably look at it with a couple of different attitudes. Some of you are just really happy 2013 is finally over, and you're hoping 2014 is a fresh start, right? Others of you think, wow, 2014, 2013 was amazing. How could it possibly get any better? Now, depending on how you look at a glass, you're either thinking it could get better and fuller, Or you're thinking there's no way it'll get better. It's going to have to get worse from here. If you're an optimist or a pessimist. Others of you are just plain tired. You've been jumping over hurdles all year long. And you're just looking for a break. Well, I have good news and bad news. The good news is we can get over those hurdles. The bad news is I promise you hurdles will continue to come. Christ tells us again... Jesus tells us, in this world, you will have trouble. So when we think about hurdles, I thought I might use a visual illustration to help us think about how we make it through life. Because there's basically two ways we often approach life. Because life, in many ways, you know, it's used as a metaphor of running or a journey, a marathon, not a sprint. Well, I also think life is an awful lot like a a hurdle race. And you'll see what I mean as you watch this wonderfully competitive race. You don't need any sound, just pay attention. Now, I'm not asking you all to be sports aficionados, but if you go back and watch that video, I'm pretty sure most everyone in the room can recognize there's a right way to run that race, and there's a wrong way to run that race. And just out of curiosity, who would be running the race the right way? Almost everybody, right? But there was that one guy that decided or just was confused. I don't know the context behind it, but something didn't work. And so he just felt like he would do it his own and he would just bust through those hurdles in his own strength. And at one point it took him down. And then he said, well, I don't like my lane. I'm going to go take your lane. (laughs) And that's a lot of times how we run through life. We say, I'm going to do it on my own. I know the best way. And I'm just going to, the American spirit, I'm an American. So we hear this a lot. I'm just going to, Fight through life and do it myself. We love that independence. But you see, there's a better way. Jesus doesn't promise us that the hurdles are going to go away, but he promises he'll help us every step of the way. You notice the runners that ran the right race the right way, they still struggled, but they made it through. That's a, such a gracious picture of our life in Christ. We will still struggle. That's part of our nature. We will still, for the rest of eternity, or for the rest of our earthly life, we will wrestle with the the dichotomy of wanting to sin, but knowing there's a better way. You know, Paul said, why do I do what I don't want to do, and why don't I do what I want to do? Even the great apostle Paul wrestled with that. And today, as we begin 2014 as a church family, I want us to look at one of Jesus' simplest teachings. And I want us to say, Lord, I know there's going to be hurdles this year. I don't know what's coming. But I'll follow you. And I'll let you guide my path. And so I'd like you to open your Bibles to John chapter 15. I mean John chapter 14. I'm sorry. And we're going to start. And I'm going to read to you just a a bit of Scripture. And we won't be able to touch on all the truth that is in Jesus' words in this passage Uh, But it's powerful. And I can think of no better way to start this year than with these words. So I'd like you to listen carefully. I'm not going to put them on the screens. I'd just like you to hear them or follow along in your Bibles. John chapter 14, beginning with verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, and he to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. And I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys him, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father. And I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Lord, as we just look at a few of your words today, I ask that you would shape us, that you would teach us, that your Holy Spirit would so richly dwell in us that we can't possibly go out the same way we've come in. In your name I pray, amen. 2014 is here, and with that, I want us to look right Jesus' first words in this section. If you love me. Notice he starts the word there with if. He's beginning in English what's called an if-then statement. If you love me, then you will do something. Okay? But often we equate love with what comes next. Obedience. And I think often we get too far ahead of ourselves and we don't stop right here with if you love me. And we need to understand the depth of those words themselves. Because our love for Christ doesn't begin with ourself. Our love for Christ begins with his love for us. From the very beginning, God has loved us. From the very beginning, God had a plan to bring us back to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. John 3.16 tells us that. John 1 tells us that. These are all words of John. And even as we see here, Jesus himself says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. We're not first getting to Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, I love you. Now you can love me. But sometimes we treat him that way. Sometimes we treat him as though we've forgotten about the grace that comes because he first loved us. We were just told that he who knew no sin became sin for us out of his great love for us. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus then, immediately following the statement, says this, i 've called you my disciples, my friends. think for a second for a second. The disciples are finally figuring out who Jesus is. remember, they as great of men as they were they weren 't the sharpest tools in the shed they didn 't always understand what was right in front of them, and lest we be too critical of the disciples, neither do we, we can miss God at work all around us because we get so caught up in our own lives and our own assumptions and whatever else is going on. But right here Jesus having fully explained to them that I am the Messiah I am Emmanuel which means God with us I am here right now and I love you and I am calling you my friends. Jesus Christ calls some of the worst sinners in the world his friends. And then as you make your way through John 15, look what he says down in 23. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. It is, not, it is not God's will that any would perish. They simply have to believe and obey. But you see, often we forget that Christ first loved us and think that we have to earn our way to him by loving him first. And we mix up the order. We get it backwards backwards. If you could, 9 and 10 of that, if you go up, so I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought for a second. If you go up to verses 9 and 10, look at, of chapter 15, look at how John recants the words of Je- recounts the words of Jesus. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain, or in some of your Bibles, a, a richer word there, abide in my love. If you obey my commands, you will abide in my love just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. That abide has such a richness to it. When we understand that Christ first loved us so much that he would give himself up for us, greater love has no man than this, that he would give up his life for his friends. And then he's adopted us into his family by what he's done. And then we're invited to live, to to abide, to live in that love. That's a powerful testimony of exactly what Christ is calling us to when he says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullness full. In other words, the fullest life there is, is abiding in me for all eternity. If you love me, our love for Christ begins with the divine reality that he first loved us. We didn't earn our way to him. Our obedience does not earn his love. His grace is sufficient for all our needs. It's time and time again the scriptures are so clear. So the first thing we see is that our love for Christ begins with his love for us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Christ loves you? As we start 2014... Last year we did the Identity Crisis series and we talked about I am in Christ, right? Well, do you believe that Christ loves you so much that he would give himself up for you? And if you believe that he loves you that much, shouldn't it shape our very lives? Because we could talk about it. I could look right here at Amos and say, Amos, Jesus loves you. And then I could go be angry at the world, right? Right? But if I truly believe and if I truly understand the depth that Jesus loves me, isn't it going to affect my interactions with one another? Absolutely. Amos, Jesus loves you and so do I, brother. It's a big difference there. Amos, Jesus loves you, but I really don't like you very much right now. That's not true. (laughs) But you see, that's what we often do in the church. Jesus loves you, but I don't want to. And so Jesus continues his teaching. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Okay, well, yeah, I, I get that. I mean, it, it doesn't, doesn't seem too counter logical to say, well, if we love Jesus, we would obey what his command. Now, obedience does not equal love. Christ's love came first. Out of worship do we obey. Out of love for him, we obey. Obedience itself is not love. There is a difference. The result of love is obedience. Right? So so what do we find? We find that our love for Christ, our worship, our ability to savor the person of Jesus Christ in my life, fuels our obedience. If we have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ... Last week a couple elders and I got to go to a hospital and we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into, I don't think. Maybe maybe we did. I didn't. And I was I was being translated for and I thought this was going to be a rather quick service to to pray with a dying man. And instead it became a ministry of reconciliation. It became an evangelism meeting. It became a begging of God for the Holy Spirit to work because we were speechless. And it became at the very end of baptismal service where Christian and non-Christian alike joined together to celebrate that their father had accepted Jesus Christ and wanted to be baptized before he died. How could that happen? Well, it happened because we know that Christ loves us so much and that his love so compels us that we want to obey what he says. And what did he say? Go into all the world, preaching the gospel, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we weren't going to miss out on that opportunity. It took two hours longer than we expected. But the patience of the people in that room and the work of the Holy Spirit says God is real and he's not done with us yet. It had nothing to do with the three men or with Sheila or with the others that were there. It had everything to do with the work of God in the lives of people. If you love me, you will obey what he commands. And his commands are always relational. They demand to be acted upon in the context of how we move and breathe and work and live in this world. Now, unless you live up in the mountain and are a hermit, which therefore you wouldn't be here, you have interaction with other people. And so our love for Christ fueling our obedience means other people are going to see whether we're obedient or not. They're going to see whether we're taking shortcuts. Just look at what the scriptures say. John, writing again, this is in his letter later on, but teaching what Jesus has taught already, he says, this is love for God, to obey his commands. It's a result of God's love that we would love him so much that we want to do what he says. It's as simple as that. If we truly love him, and most times if I come to a church and I ask them, Do you love Jesus? Yay! Then we get to Monday. Do we love Jesus? Yay! And then your boss doesn't treat you so well. Do we love Jesus? Yay! And then we find out there's trouble at, at home, or there's problems with our spouse, or with our family, or with our friends. Do we still love Jesus? Yeah don't have time for him i've got real problems you see the progression of what happens this is love for god obedience isn't the rea- the result or obedience is the result of our love for god and it means that when we get into those messes when things don't go the way we can we don't end up like the hurdler running through in our own strength and falling down We end up allowing him to carry us and to guide us as we obey him. Because his commands are for us. They are to guide us. And they are to shape us. And they are to draw us unto himself. Think about it like you would think about being a parent. Do the kids always understand every command and want to do everything you tell them? No but you love them so much that you give them rules to follow so that they can grow into maturity and hopefully adults that leave the house. Some of you have not experienced that yet and are hoping that after 40 they will leave. That was funny. They should have left a long time ago. And we love our kids. And I'm not looking forward to my kids leaving the house. But we know that Christ's love compels us to obey him. That's why Romans, when Paul says that your spiritual act of worship is to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, that's all about obedience. It's, here's my life, Lord. Take it, and I will follow you. I'll do what you say. So let's keep moving on to the progression, because if anyone loves me, he'll obey my teaching. Okay, Mike, you've hit on that. We know we're supposed to obey your teaching. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. You think back to God with us. Pitching his tent with us. Isn't that an amazing concept? Well, here it is again. Dwelling, abiding, living, pitching his tent with us, in us, making us a living temple. Your body is a temple of God, right? If you are in Christ, absolutely yes. Our bodies are his temple. And so the amazing thing here is that we know we are gods if we have believed on Jesus Christ and been saved and set apart for him. Now, then he does something here that we often skim right over. He says, my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. This is not him saying, you've earned my love by obeying. This is just, of course I will love you, As you obey me, I still love you. There is still grace, but of course I love you as you obey me. But the interesting thing there is this is a promise and there are promises throughout Jesus teaching. Are there not? Do we believe his promises in the mundanity of life? Do we take Jesus' promises seriously when that employer treats us unfairly, when we are sick, when we are broke, when our family is in trouble? Because this is a trustworthy saying. Well, how do I know that a promise like this is trustworthy? Well, I believe the Bible to be the infallible, inerrant word of God, and you've heard me say that before. So all I have to do is go back to John fourteen one. And it tells us this, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Well, how can I trust him when all this is going on? Well, his promises are as true today as they were 2,000 years ago. That promise that says when you're dealing with loneliness, I will never leave you nor forsake you is still true today. And I know some of you are struggling with loneliness right now. I know some of you wrestle with feeling all on your own. No one could possibly understand. And yet we say, well, I believe what Jesus says. Well, if we believe what he says, and he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, will we abide in that promise? Will we obey his promise and say, okay, Lord, you got me, I'm yours. Or you're struggling with, as I mentioned earlier, you don't feel like you've measured up. You don't feel like you're good enough. And do we believe the promises of God's word? Remember, Jesus is the living word. And yet you're tired. You feel like everyone looks down upon you. And just a few verses later, Jesus tells his disciples, I've called you friends and everybody looked down upon them. And then he also tells us that if you're weary, if you're struggling, go somewhere else. I don't have time for you. Right. That's what Jesus said. Right. No, he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. I am not a good sleeper. And you know what happens when I wake up in the middle of the night, which happens just about every night? I try to say this verse over and over, and then I start praying. And you know what? A miraculous thing happens. I fall back to sleep. Is it because I've got the spiritual gift of sleep? No, I don't. But as I rest, as I abide in the very love of God and obey and say, Lord, your promises are as true today as they were then, (laughs) I can rest in him. The cares of tomorrow, they'll take care of themselves because I worry a lot. I know you're surprised, right? I struggle with worry. If you know anything about me, you know that to be true. Yet, when I struggle with worry, I come back to, don't worry. Tomorrow has enough cares of its own. I've clothed the birds. I've made this world, I've got you under my wing. So when I say that Christ's love is trustworthy, I am saying his promises, his love, his very person is trustworthy. And if we say that to be true, if we trust in him and also in his Father, then do we believe his promises? And if we believe his promises, wouldn't that shape how we live this year? How our obedience changes from one out of slavery that makes us feel like we're in shackles to the ways of the world or that we just have to go to church to joyously going to him because he promised us so much more. And we're living in the fullness of that promise. You see the difference? We are slaves to Christ. It's the most freeing slavery ever invented. And it's the only slavery that counts. Because we're either a slave to Christ or we're a slave to sin. And the slavery to sin does put us in shackles. And does bind us and knock us further and further down. But Christ, his love, his promises, his very nature is trustworthy. And so in 2014, the question before us is, do we trust him? If we trust him, will we stand firm on his promises? If you're worried, will you give it to the Lord and say, God, I can't. If you're tired, if life just feels like too much, will you give it to the Lord and say, I can face tomorrow because of you? If you're broke, will you say, Lord, I know you say you'll supply all my needs. I will trust in you. If you've been hurt, will you forgive 70 times seven because that's what he's done for you? The trustworthy words and love of God. God shapes and marks us to a way that we couldn't help but obey. Then we're promised one other thing because we can't do this on our own. See, I've left out a major part so far. If you look at your text carefully, verse 16, I will ask the Father... This is a great Trinitarian passage. As you read John 14, 15, and 16, you see all three persons of the Trinity at work in amazing ways. And here you see the Son asking the Father to give the Holy Spirit. It's that great dance of fellowship that they work together for their own glory, for the glory of God, and then they invite us in. Because look what happens next. And I get very excited about this because I think sometimes today in churches, we've been, as Charles Swindoll says, baptized in prune juice. And if you've been baptized in prune juice, you kind of look pretty grumpy and dead and sleepy and not even remotely excited about who God is and the work of his Holy Spirit. But listen to who Jesus promises us. He said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you. How long? Forever the spirit of truth. And then later on, he tells us, all this I've spoken while still with you. This is verse 25, 26 says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. So we know the counselor will teach us. We know he'll be with us all the time. And he will remind you of everything Jesus has said to them. And that's as true today as it was then. And then interestingly, Jesus completely shifts gears. And if you're proofreading this, I think that there would need to be a new paragraph there. But there's not. So this is a continuance of the same thought. Peace, I leave with you. Peace, I give you. But Jesus doesn't stop talking about the Holy Spirit there. Because you get over into chapter 16... And I tell you the truth. It is for your own good that I'm going away because why would we want to see Jesus go away? Unless I go away, the counselor, and I'll tell you more about him in just a second, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, we already know he'll teach, he'll grant, he'll guide us in peace, and he'll guide our path, and he will be with us. Well, now he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Wow. So this counselor, the Greek word there, depending on which version of the Bible you have, is translated in a bunch of different ways. If you grab 10 translations of the Bible, you will get no less than six different translations of the word paraclete, which is the word counselor or advocate or helper or guide. So depending on which translation you read, you get the idea that the word is so much richer than we can explain in the English language because our love for Christ is an empowered love. The Holy Spirit is with us. We are taught that when we have accepted Christ as our Savior, we are filled with the Holy Spirit and given spiritual gifts that, we'll, that we can use for the equipping of the saints for the works of service here on earth. And we are called to abide in the Spirit and live in the Spirit and the fullness of the Spirit, Paul teaches. But sometimes we get a little afraid of the Holy Spirit because he, even his word, you know, some people call him the Holy Ghost. He sounds mystical. He sounds, we're a pretty conservative church. He sounds a little charismatic. And that makes us nervous. But the scripture is so full of teaching about who Jesus gave us when he gave us the paraclete, the advocate, the one that stands beside us and acts on our behalf. But interestingly, there's a little word there that you'll see in your text. He says, I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor. So who was the first counselor? You tracking with me still? Are we still awake? It's about time to finish? It is, I promise. Jesus is the first paraclete. Jesus is the first that walked side by side with us and carried our burdens. It's him. And then when he left this earth, he said, I will leave you another. Wait for him. Acts 1. We find the early church waiting. And when the Holy Spirit fell on them, all I can say is, wow. That spirit is alive, and he is well, and he is at work today. And A.W. Tozer is known. He's a great Christian Missionary Alliance writer and preacher and teacher, and he is known to say that we in the CMA have been afraid of the Holy Spirit, but we should rather than be afraid, be empowered to live the life God has invited us to. Well, how can we manage a life of obedience? By living in the Spirit, by saying... Holy Spirit, guide me as I read your word. You can teach me. I may not understand it, but you can guide me. Guide me in those difficult discussions, conversations that might have to be had. Help me to understand that in you, I am good enough. Because on my own, I, I'm not. But help me to understand that because of what your son has done, I am. Holy Spirit, Convict me of sin. Search my heart and let me know what I need to confess. What has separated me from your love? What has put up a wall that I have placed? What has made that hurdle higher? Holy Spirit, guide me when I can't see a way out of this situation. Help, because I know your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, but I'm struggling. Holy Spirit, fill me. And give me the power to tell others about your great love through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus even told us, again, these red letter words, they're everywhere. Jesus told his disciples that when you are questioned, the spirit will give you the words. He'll guide your words. Interestingly, in this hospital visit that I was on last week, I have no idea what was said other than what I spoke, because everything else was spoken in Chinese. But it was obvious that the Holy Spirit was at work. And I don't know how God miraculously put the pieces together, but He did. And He continues to do that. And we can trust in Him, and we can live in the power of the Holy Spirit, not just to teach us as we study His Word, but to help us in every aspect of life. Do we believe He's with us? And do we say, Spirit, fill me. Fall fresh on me. Okay. One more thing. As we realize that Christ first loved us, as we realize that we want to obey Him and that we need the help of the Holy Spirit to empower us to obey Him, Well, when we get to obeying his commands, we have to ask the question, which ones? There's lots. And I thought there's a new covenant. So which ones do we follow? Well, you start with the red letter ones. And you'll notice something very interesting when Jesus gives commands. I said it already. They're always relational because our love for Christ compels us to love one another. Jesus told us very clearly that the entire law could be summed up in one. These words, one commandment with two parts. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. I'll do it like I do every night with my kids. Okay, so I, I like total physical response. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul. <laughs> Let me try that again and get it right. Now, it's going to look a little Pentecostal one part of it, and that's okay. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul is what I do for my kids, because he's everywhere, with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. That was first given. To those that follow Christ. And as we follow Christ and as we obey his commands, his commands will compel us to love one another. And as we so love one another, what are we going to do naturally? We're going to invite others into the fold. Church is not meant to be exclusive. Jesus is exclusive. He is the only way to God. The church should be inviting everyone in and saying, have you met Jesus? Because I love him. And in obedience to him, I want to tell you all about him because he has changed my life and continues to be at work in me. Can we say amen? Amen. So my prayer for us is this. Love each other as Christ has first loved us. May our spirit-led love for Christ Guide us to a life of relational obedience that radically changes how we love one another and reach the world. Lord, it's such a simple message but has so much depth we could never stop talking about it. I ask that we would love you and that we would obey you. That your words today would not fall empty but that our very act of worship would be out of love for you To bring glory to the Father. That we would love one another anew. Whether others deserve it or not. Because of the grace you have first given us. And Lord I pray that your Holy Spirit would fall mightily upon this place. Like a mighty rushing wind. Because we need you in 2014. And so we say come Lord Jesus. Come back. And while we wait. Counselor. Advocate. Teacher. Please help us. In your holy name we pray. Amen.